Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. As you know, several weeks ago, I uh, uh, instructed the, the office to buy uh, uh, many copies of Brother Hagen's book, Kenneth E. Hagen's book, I Believe in Visions. And I encouraged everybody in the church to get this book. Uh, you know, husband and wife get one. Both of you read it, uh, share it with uh, other members of your family, young people. I wanted everybody in our church to read uh, Brother Hagen's book. And the reason I wanted that <clears throat> is, is I wanted to, I wanted everyone to understand the tremendous impact this man made on the body of Christ. Now, he published this book in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, I guess, around 70. And uh, obviously, he went on and lived, you know, many years after that. His ministry really uh, took off after uh, that book was published. And uh, he had many visitations and revelations from the Lord. And, uh, and when I think back over it, uh, in, at least to my knowledge, and I'm not saying that this is absolutely true, but to my knowledge... I don't know of another man in modern times who knew God face to face like Kenneth E. Hagin did in the sense that he had visitations where Jesus appeared to him uh, in, in different form. In other words, he told us that, he told us that Brother Hagin or that, that Jesus told him, Brother Hagin, that there were three different kinds of, of visions. There was a spiritual vision and this is the kind of vision that Paul had on the road to Damascus, his eyes were closed. And uh, so he didn't see Jesus with his natural eyes. He saw, them in his, he saw Jesus in his spirit. And Jesus talked to him, the Bible says, when he, when he uh, uh, rose up from after he had fallen prostrate on, on the ground, when he rose up, he, uh, it said his eyes were closed. And so he didn't see Jesus with his natural eyes. And then there's another level, a little higher level of vision of that, and that is when people fall into a trance. And we see the Apostle Paul fell into a trance when he was in Jerusalem. Uh, the Apostle Peter fell into a trance when he saw the, you know, the sheet let down from heaven. That's, a, that's another level, a higher level of visions. And then the highest level of vision, Jesus told him, was an open vision. And this is whenever you have your eyes completely open, your, your senses are not suspended, everything around you is is current you see everything uh, that's going on but Jesus just shows up and you see him standing in front of you and uh, brother Hagen had all three of these kinds of visions and uh, and like I said I don't know of another man in modern times who uh, was graced with these kinds of visitations and and the truths that brother Hagen brought to the body of Christ are so important and, uh, and so I wanted you to read this book as an introduction to his ministry. And again, go into the bookstore. Uh, there were many books that he wrote after that uh, book was written, many other visitations he had, things uh, where visitations where the Lord revealed uh, truths about the word of God that so enriched not only our lives but the body of Christ. And so uh, you all know our vision. You can turn with me to... Uh, the 26th chapter of Acts, Acts 26, and we'll just read briefly. I'm not going to do an involved 
teaching on our vision, but I just want to refer to it. In uh, Acts 26, this is Paul telling his story of how he came to the Lord, how Jesus appeared to him in this spiritual vision. Uh, And uh, he said in verse number 13, at midday along the road, he saw a light from heaven shining brighter than the sun. And it shined around him and those who journeyed with him. He said, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Everybody uh, make note of that word purpose. He said, I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then Paul went on to tell King Agrippa, he said, uh, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And uh, if, you've, uh, 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 if you're a member of this church, you've gone through the membership class, you've heard me tell the story how in 1986, uh, during a time of just, uh, that I had set aside to just pray and seek God, that the Lord uh, visited me. Now, I didn't see him, I didn't have a vision. I didn't see him, but he very uh, clearly came into the room where I was. His presence just, I, and I knew he was there. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't touch him, but he spoke to me very powerfully out of this verse of scripture. And he said to me, rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness of those things which you have seen and of the things that I will yet reveal to you. He said, and you will open men's eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the authority of Satan to God, that they may receive remission of sins and their inheritance. And so this became, at, on that day and at that moment, this became the vision of God for my life, the calling of God. And it's not, it really wasn't new. It had already, it had always been there. And this verse of scripture over the years, every time I would read it, I'd be drawn to it. And of course, we're all drawn to verses of scripture. You know, when we read them, the Holy Spirit draws us. But, but this was a very reoccurring thing. I could never read this passage without being just sort of captivated by it. And so on that day, uh, he made it clear to me that this was the vision of God for my life and for this church. I instantly and immediately understood that Jesus was talking to me and he was talking to this church when he said that, that, that he had given us this purpose and this calling. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I've, I came back in 1986 and I taught this uh, to the church and shared this experience. And from that day forward, every new members class we've ever conducted, we've always taught from this passage of scripture and let people know that this is the vision for our church. And uh, I want you to, to, and the reason I'm teaching on this now is I have received a, a little more insight and, and, a, and a little different uh, uh, view, an added uh, 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 illumination about this and about our call uh, in recent months. And, and I want to share that with you over today and, and uh, next Sunday and however many Sundays it takes. I don't think it'll take too long. But I want you to go with me to Philippians chapter 1. 
In Philippians chapter 1, <clears throat> let's start in verse number 6 just to find a place to start. Philippians 1, 6, Paul is writing, of course, he said, Be confident, or being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it was right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains, because Paul was in prison at the time when he wrote this, inasmuch as I have you in my, in, in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, notice the next words, he said, you are partakers with me of grace. Now the older King James said, you are partakers of my grace. The New King James says, you are partakers with me of grace. Both of these versions say the same thing. Because in the New King James, if he says, you are partakers with me of grace, then it would be the same grace that he partook of. Isn't that right? And so I kind of like the older King James because it makes it a little simpler. I think it's truer to the original language when it says that uh, you, you, have, you are partakers of my grace. Uh I want you to go with me then to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy, the second chapter. And let's look at verse number 1 and 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When Paul said, the things that you've heard from me, now we know that Timothy, if you read the book of Acts, and we're, we've just finished reading the book of Acts, uh, I guess we have, I'm a, I'm a few days ahead, I don't know if we're finished or not, but I'm finished but, uh, uh, in our Bible reading, but uh, you'll notice that Timothy traveled with the apostle Paul. Uh, it's beginning, I think, in the 16th chapter of Acts. And... Uh, he looked upon the Apostle Paul as a spiritual father and the Apostle Paul looked upon him as his son in the faith, his spiritual son. And so he's talking to here to him and he said, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying the things that you've heard from me, I want you to teach others so that they in turn can even teach others. And so what was he talking about when he said the things which you've heard from me? Uh, it, it's, it's, now, if you're, an, if you're a, 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 an immature Christian, or I would say if you are, but I'm just saying a baby Christian, an immature Christian might struggle a little bit with what I'm about to say, but it's, but it's not just in one verse, it's in multiple passages that I'm going to, to uh, demonstrate this truth. And uh, you have to understand what is being said and what is not being said. When Paul talked about the things that had been committed to him, he also talked about uh, his gospel. In Romans chapter 2, let's just go through and look at, well, I tell you what, before we go there, go to Galatians. Go to the book of Galatians and let's look at the first chapter in the book of Galatians. In verse number 11, Galatians 1, 11, 
Paul is writing uh, about his visit that he had uh, when he went up the first time to Jerusalem, and this is recorded uh, very briefly in the book of Acts. And uh, he said in verse number 11, he said, but I make it known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, now I want you to notice those words, the gospel which was preached by me. Paul Paul considered the gospel that he preached to be somewhat unique. And I'll, and I'll show you what I mean by that in a few minutes. Because this isn't a phrase he used once. He, this is a phrase he used quite often. He even became more pointed than this. But I just want you to notice the words, the gospel... Uh, where am I at? Oh yeah, the gospel which was preached by me, he said, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was saying that the gospel that he preached, the message he preached, he did not get by listening to the other apostles or the other writers of the New Testament the, the gospel he preached, he received by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus appeared to him and, and taught him in different formats and, and revealed what the bulk of what we have that we call the New Testament, especially the epistles, came from what Jesus revealed directly to the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and so let's go on over now into the second chapter. And let's start in verse number one. He said, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and I also took Titus with me. And I went up, notice again, by revelation. That is the Lord directed him to and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Notice again, he, he, he has a, a sense of, of, of describing what he preached as somehow uniquely his. He said, that gospel uh, which I preach among the Gentiles, I shared that with them, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So he submitted the, the gospel or the truths that God revealed to him, that Jesus revealed to him. He submitted those things to the apostles who were before him, but he had been preaching this for a number of years. And so he went up and he, and he shared with them the gospel that, that had been given to him and he did it privately uh, so as to, if it needed to be corrected, it could be corrected. And, uh, but then he, he went on to say that uh, they didn't really add anything to it. Verse number six, I skipped to verse number six. He said, but those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no one. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. He's talking about the other apostles. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, that is the Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the, toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. Notice again, the grace that had been given to him. We made reference 
that he told the church there in Philippi, he said, you, have, you are partakers with me of grace or you are partakers of my grace. Well, that's the grace he's talking about right here. He said that, uh, uh, let me find where I'm at again. Yeah, in verse number nine. When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. So Paul had a sense that what God had given him was something that was especially suited to reaching the Gentiles. Now we know this when you look through Paul's writings, John's writings, Peter's writings, James, uh, and all the apostles who, who authored uh, in the epistles, you'll notice that there's that there it's basically the same gospel. The path of salvation is the same. Justification is the same. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the same. We see uh, that in in essence it's the same, but there were differences because God took the apostle Paul and especially anointed him and equipped him to reach the Gentiles. And, uh, and you, I don't know, if, again, if, if you're there yet, but I've already closed the book of Acts out and moved on because I'm reading ahead. But in our daily reading, uh, you'll notice that, you know, the reading through the book of Acts, every time he went to the, to the Jews, there would be a big uh, riot and, and he would be beaten and all kinds of crazy things happened. And the enemy just stirred up trouble everywhere he went. And the Jews, basically, there were a few in every city that believed, but by and large, the Jewish people rejected the gospel that, that Paul was trying to preach to them. And so finally, in the last chapter of the book of Acts, he said, you know what? I'm done. From this day forward, I'm going to the Gentiles. And, and so the, his message was uniquely tailored to reach a, a certain group of people, the Gentiles. And God gave him revelation that he didn't give other people in the New Testament. Like I said, essentially the basics are the same, but there is something that theologians call the Pauline revelation. There is a body of truth that you only find in Paul's epistles and it's not in Peter's writings, it's not in John's writings, uh, it's not in James's writing, maybe it may be uh, hinted to, but you don't see the full development in these other uh, uh, apostles' contributions like you see it in uh, in 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 uh, Paul's ministry. So now with that in mind, go with me to Romans chapter two and just look at a couple of places or several places that illustrate what I'm talking about. Romans chapter two and verse number, let's just read it, just the one verse without going back and and getting into context. Notice verse 16. He said, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, you know, if somebody wrote that today, they'd be ridden out of town on a rail. That God is going to judge the secrets of men according to my gospel. That's exactly what Paul wrote. And like I said, this is not an obscure uh, reference to this this, uh, idea. Go over to the 16th chapter of Romans and look at verse number 25 through 27. 
Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone be wise, to God to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Notice he made reference to, again, his gospel and he talked about the revelation of the mystery. Now, this is a, a, a term that you'll only see in the epistles. You'll only see it in, in Paul's writings. Uh, there, was, there was a body of truth and it's called the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of Christ. And, uh, and he said it was kept secret since the, since the world began, but now in Bible times, it was made manifest. So go on over with me to Ephesians chapter three. I'm wanting to lay a foundation here. Ephesians three. Are you okay this morning? Are you following with me? Amen. Ephesians 3, verse number one. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Notice this grace, this special grace that was given to him wasn't just for him. It was for those who heard him. And he said, uh, in, in, indeed, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me, the, in other words, he didn't get it from anybody else. He didn't get this from James or John or Peter. He said, uh, how by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. Notice that... Uh, part of this mystery was that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs with the Jews in the same body. That was not something that was revealed to the other apostles. It was revealed first to, to uh, the apostle Paul and that, they, and that Jews and Gentiles together would partake of the promise in Christ through this gospel. And now in verse number eight, he said to me who am less than the least of all, these saint, of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Uh, you see here that, that, again, that Paul referred to his gospel, the gospel that was given to him, how that he received it by revelation, no one taught it, and that it was especially suited to reach the Gentiles, and that in this gospel that he received, this revelation he received, he received a revelation of something called the mystery and the mystery really is about everything that we understand about the church today, the nature of the church, the nature of the body of Christ, all things related to our union with Christ. These were truths that, that God gave the apostle Paul and, uh, and he presented these things 
uh, to people by that grace. He was given the grace and the people who heard him partook with him of that same grace. And the purpose was so that as he taught others like Timothy and others, they in turn could teach faithful men under them who in turn would pass that down to another generation and to another generation and to another generation. So we come to today. These truths have been passed down by men of God over the years who have fed very closely on the, on the writings of the Apostle Paul. And like I said, this, this theological term has, has surfaced, is called the Pauline Revelation. And, uh, and so many ministers over the years and theologians down through the centuries have sort of focused on this and received enlightenment, especially along the lines of what the Apostle Paul was preaching. And, uh, and so we come to today and we come to uh, our ministry and our church and we come to the ministry of Kenneth Hagin. Now, Kenneth Hagin was a man who received revelation but he received revelation in line with other established truths. Now, there were a few things like, you know, the fact that there are three different kinds of revelations. You don't see that identified. You see the illustration of those three different kinds of revelations and visions, uh, but you don't see it actually taught that way. So there are, there are details like that, but primarily, and I talked about this on Wednesday night, primarily the fundamental truths that Kenneth Hagin endorsed in his lifetime, really, if you, if, you, if you take them and spread them out, they fit perfectly with our statement of faith as a, as a congregation, as a church. You know, we have a, we have a statement of faith. It's a statement of our core doctrine. And, and I know a lot of people today don't like the word doctrine. They don't like to include the word doctrine. <clears throat> Excuse me, many places today you go to a church's website and, and to find out what they actually believe. I mean, it's buried. You, know, you, have to, you have to search through several pages. And then a lot of times it's very vague. It's kind of, uh, you know, well, just believe in loving people and, and uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, getting people saved and, and and, and having a good worship experience. Well, that's not doctrine though. Doctrine is what we actually believe, the foundation of what we believe. And uh, like I said, when I laid out, <coughs> excuse me, I made a list of the things that Kenneth Hagin uh, emphasized and taught in depth on in his lifetime. And I laid them out and I began to put them uh, under uh, the categories of our statement of faith. And I found out, uh, and I'd never really seen this before, that Kenneth Hagin's doctrine was so fitted to what we would call orthodoxy. In other words, each one of our statement of faiths, almost every one of them, uh, except for I, th I think a, a couple of them, Kenneth Hagin had, had very important further revelations. Now, let me say this. I, I hope I don't lose my train of thought because I go from one, you know, sub-statement to another. When we talk about revelation, what are we talking about? A lot of people in theological circles and a lot of people in ministry and church leaders, they bristle when, when they hear people like us talking about uh, you have to get the revelation of or it comes by revelation. And the reason they do that is they believe revelation only refers to 
the revelation, in other words, the giving of Scripture, that there is no more revelation. Well, that's true if you look at revelation that way. This book, the New Testament, contains the final revelation that God gave to man. There's not anything that's, that's in addition to this. So, in other words, there's not anybody getting more scriptures, you know, added scriptures. When we talk about revelation, that's not the way we mean, the, that's not the way we uh, refer to the word. It's not what it means. When we talk about revelation, a better way would, would be to say it, just to satisfy other people, is illumination. We receive illumination from the word of God, which is the final revelation. And so when the Spirit of God, you're reading something, a scripture, and the Holy Spirit shows you what that means and, and, and how it applies. Now, that, that illumination has to fit with all, other, with all the rest of the Bible. Anytime you think you've received a, a revelation or illumination from God and it doesn't pass muster with the rest of the Bible, then you've not, either you've received something that's wrong or you've just not understood what the Holy Ghost was saying to you. So we talk about revelation, we mean it in the sense of illumination or enlightenment. But I still like the word revelation because if you don't see something in the scriptures and you've experienced this when you're reading and suddenly you see it, that is revelation to you. It's not revelation of new scripture, but it's illumination or revelation in that sense. So, you know, the, the, the revelations that God gave Brother Hagen all fit within the framework of orthodox uh, Christianity. What I mean by that is, and I told this story Wednesday night, when we first started our church in 1980, we developed the same statement of faith we have today, except we changed one word from atonement uh, in the finished work of Christ, we, we, we used, instead of the, the word atonement, we changed it to the, the, uh, the redemptive work of Christ. Uh, and then we added one uh, tenet to our statement of faith, and that has to do with marriage and sexuality. And we did this a few years ago because of all of the, uh, of the crazy things that were going on in the world that were trying to get into the church, just so that we would be on record, this is what we believe. And so that's the only change we've made to our statement of faith in all these 37 years. And uh, so we did that in 1980. Now in 1981, we uh, decided we were gonna buy the old First Baptist Church. There were about 25 people in our congregation and the old First Baptist Church had been sitting empty for about six years. They'd built their new facility where they are now. And uh, the Lord you know, put it on our heart that we could buy that, that empty church building. So you know, we went to the... the uh, uh, pastor, I went to the pastor, Pastor Ron Huggins at the time and told him what we were interested in and he said, well, he said, I'll, I'll submit it to our board of deacons because that's, that's how their church is governed. He said, I'll present it to my board of deacons and, and they'll decide. So he set a date and so I went in, another, I think another man in the church went with me and we met with the board of deacons and Pastor Huggins was there officiating and, and uh, we gave them our statement of faith because we were wanting to buy their church. And, you know, we were a startup church. We'd been around a little over a year and we were meeting in, a, in, a, uh, in the woman's club, you know, in High Springs and nobody knew much about us except that we spoke with other tongues, you know. And, uh, you know, but the Baptists don't believe in speaking with other tongues. And so I brought them our statement of faith. 
And I actually, I gave it to, to Ron Huggins and he gave a copy to all the other men. So they had it when we came into the, to the meeting. And uh, one of the brothers stood up, one of the deacons, and he said, I'm gonna tell you what, the rest of you, you deacons, he says, as far as I'm concerned, I think we ought to let this church you know, buy our old property. He said, because I look at their statement of faith, he said, and it's just like ours. I mean, it, it, it could fit perfectly with what we believe, except for a couple of things. Of course, he was talking about tongues and healing and, and some of those things that we are more absolute about. And uh, they believe in a baptism of the Holy Spirit. They just don't believe it according to the scriptures. But uh, uh, so, you know, what I'm saying is our doctrine, our core doctrine is by and large the same that you will find in, in most historical churches. Except today, maybe of churches that have been influenced by progressivism and modernism, you know, they've, they've gotten rid of some things. But even in those churches, the old timers in those churches, Methodist church or Lutheran church, the old timers, they still believe it like this. Because this is what the church was, was established on for, for centuries. And, uh, and so our doctrine is very orthodox and, and, uh, and so Brother Hagen's ministry, as I, as I took all the things that, that he taught, and I kind of put them in the different categories, I realized that what Kenneth Hagin emphasized in his lifetime covered, first of all, it confirmed all of these doctrines, but gave more insight, more understanding, more illumination or revelation about these things, and they were taught more in depth. And uh, so, you know, as a young man, when I first was introduced to, to Kenneth Hagin uh, through his books and, and, and tapes and so forth, uh, us young men in, in the church, you know, we were just taken with, with Kenneth Hagin because he was this bigger than life, you know, kind of persona and he was a prophet, you know, and, and uh, we'd never met a prophet before. My, one of my friends that I'd gone to school with, he actually started attending the church, got saved before I got back into fellowship with the Lord. So when I started going back to church, he was there and I remembered him from high school and, uh, you know, he, he, he had gone to a Baptist church, but he, he didn't go regularly. His dad didn't go to church. He just went sometimes, but he'd never been saved. And, uh, and so when I came in and started going back to church, he was going to that Pentecostal church that I went to. And he had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was the person that gave me my first book by Kenneth Hagin. Or it might have been a cassette tape. I think it was a book. But uh, we were so taken with, with Kenneth Hagin. We just... We hung on his every word. I mean, you have to understand, we were young, 20 years old, you know, and not very, uh, not very mature in a lot of ways, not just, nat- not just spiritually, but naturally too. And I remember Ralph, one time we were talking, he said, wow, he said, Kenneth Hagin's a prophet of God. You know, just like, ooh, he's a prophet of God. You know? So that's kind of the way, the way we looked at him, you know. We're kind of afraid, you know, to be around him. And... Uh, uh, but the impact he made on our life was so profound. And the impact he made not on, on my life, on this ch- church's life, but on the whole world, the body of Christ, his, what, what God gave Kenneth Hagin is preached today. In other words, the things that he emphasized and the deeper truths, again, it's, it's not things that, that people didn't know but a, a, a more full and more comprehensive, or you could say a deeper understanding of those truths. They're on every continent 
in the world. A few years ago, before Dad Hagen went home, somebody he, that was a Rhema grad went to the North Pole to do some evangelizing, and they got up there and they said, we found Dad Hagen's books at the North Pole. Actually, we know who translated. Remember, remember that, that man that the Calverts used to support? His name was James. He was an evangelist. He went to the, to the uh, Eskimos. He went up in northern Canada, all the way up to the North Pole. I think he translated Brother Hagen's books into in, in, Inuit. Yeah, Inuit, the language that they spoke up there. But they've, they're, they're, they've traveled all over the world. We go to Africa. Pastor Greg and I have been to Africa several times. His teachings are everywhere. He made a tremendous impact, uh, especially in charismatic circles and in Pentecostal circles. There's not a, a, a Pentecostal or charismatic group, denomination, local church, anywhere in America and probably in the entire world that has not been influenced by the teachings of Kenneth Hagin. And, and again, we're not talking about teachings that are you know, uh, outside of Scripture. We're just talking about the, the fuller understanding of all of these things that, that the church holds as true. And uh, Pentecostal and charismatic churches worldwide have been heavily influenced even non, what we call non-spirit-filled congregations. You can hardly go anywhere where there's not some of the things that came from what God gave Kenneth Hagin. You can't hardly go in, in any church in America and not find traces of those truths. Uh, you need to understand that, that God gave Kenneth Hagin a mission that was greater than himself. Was greater than himself. The revelations and 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 things that Brother Hagen learned, uh, God used him to bring these things to the forefront. Now, a lot of things that Brother Hagen taught, there were other earlier Pentecostals who saw some of these things too. In the early days of the Pentecostal outpouring. Uh, it wasn't very long after the turn of the, of the 20th century in early in 1900s that uh, theologians began to surface in Pentecostal circles. There were some men who were very educated, very scholarly men, P.C. Nelson, uh, uh, Harold Horton, uh, 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 you know, who am I thinking of? Donald G. is the person I was thinking of. Uh, they began to write very early in the 20th century. And they, they really explored a lot of things that Brother Hagen learned by revelation. He learned it directly from the Holy Spirit. But you know, if it's truth, somebody's known it before you. I said, if it's truth, somebody has known it before you. Kenneth Hagin wasn't the first person to understand these things. But he got it directly from Revelation and then he used some of the writings of these older men to kind of sharpen him and, and help him. Uh, Howard Carter received Revelation during World War I on, I think it was World War I, World War I, on the, the 
uh, the spirit gifts, the gifts of the spirit. And he was the first one that broke them down into three categories, power gifts, revelation gifts, and, and, and uh, uh, inspiration. What is it? Vocal gifts. And uh, so Brother Hagen, you know, used those outlines as well. But the problem with the Pentecostal movement is that they had such tremendous experiences in the early days of Pentecost in, in this nation and in other places in the world, I'm talking about in the, in the uh, last century and a half, they, they experienced tremendous moves of God, tremendous demonstrations of the Spirit, the likes of which we've not seen in modern times. Tremendous, just miracle things. And we've talked about some of these things. Some of them border on some real extreme things the Holy Spirit did among them. The problem was Pentecostal people tended to be experience-oriented more than Word of God-oriented. And so over the passage of time, these early men wrote, but their writings never really took hold in congregations. They took hold in Bible schools, but only in Pentecostal. If you were a, if you were a Pentecostal in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and you were a theologian, but you were from the Pentecostal persuasion, your books would not be read outside the Pentecostal circles. You could get published, but before the charismatic re uh, renewal came, Pentecostals were ostracized. The, the, the entire rest of the church, the non-spirit-filled, non-Holy Ghost-baptized church, totally rejected the, the whole concept of Pentecostalism, speaking with tongues, faith and miracles and healings, they would have nothing to do with it. We were considered heretics at best and insane at worst. And I'm not kidding. They thought we, 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 they were, that we had mental issues to believe the things we did. They're, they just totally rejected. It wasn't until the charismatic movement came that God began to to uh, pour himself out, he found, he arranged some, some dialogues between some key Pentecostal speakers, Donald Duplessis and, and some others, with some other ecumenical leaders in the, in the worldwide church. And there was some relationships forged and out of that came this huge charismatic renewal and people were being baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues in all the denominations. Well, today... You know, it's not ostracized like it was back then. But still, there's still a lot of resistance. Still a lot of prejudice, you know, against anything having to do with speaking with other tongues. But let me assure you, it is nothing like it was in the world that I grew up in as a little boy. You just didn't tell people where you went to church because they would mock at you, laugh at you, just uh, treat you with contempt. Well, because of that, the writers of, of, these, of this first generation... There's, they had some very scholarly books and they saw some things about the authority of the believer. They saw some things about ministry gifts and different manifestations and gifts of the spirit and, and our authority in Christ and, 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 and so forth. They wrote about these things, but their readings were, were never, they, they never were widely read. They're only read in, in, or in Pentecostal circles and then only among church leaders. And those truths never really the deeper truths never really flowed out to the congregations. 
And so you had the circumstance where when I was born in 1952 and as a child in the 50s and into the 60s, uh, we, didn't, we didn't have in-depth teaching on hardly any of these foundations. Now, this, this statement of faith that we have, you could lay it over the, the church that I came up in and it's almost the same thing. It's a couple of things that, that's worded a little differently, but we didn't have in-depth teaching on any of it. And when the charismatic renewal came, it was the perfect milieu, if you can say it that way, or the perfect atmosphere for the, the revelation that God gave Kenneth Hagin to finally go worldwide because the charismatic movement opened up the doors to, of the spirit-filled life to so many people and Brother Hagin came in on that wave and that's where his teachings began to, to, to flourish and to go all over the world. And so it's important for us as a church to understand our roots and how that our roots are solidly biblical, absolutely biblical. But I've talked over the years many, many, many times. You've heard me uh, refer to, you know, the things that we emphasize here at our church as opposed to maybe what other churches emphasize. But until I, until I laid it over like I did, our statement of faith, the things that we emphasize really cover all of our statement of faith. It's what we emphasize is not a side gospel. It's not just a, a few little things that we like to harp on. It's, it, it, it's if you go through, like I said, our, our statement of faith, God brought revelation, deeper revelation about all this. Just let me give you a for instance, just one for instance. It's in our statement of faith. When I grew up in the Pentecostal church we, we, we grew up in, it referred to the new birth that the blood of Jesus, you know, was the, was the source of the, of the new birth and regeneration. The term new birth was recognized, but we never used it. Never used it. I never heard, I'm not saying I never heard, I don't remember ever hearing anybody talk about the new birth. We talked about being saved. And, and that's, that's scriptural. You understand it's scriptural. For by grace were you saved through faith. You know, the, 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 you know with, with the heart man believes unto salvation. So we talked about being saved and we talked about people, when, when we had a revival, we talked about how many people got saved. Or, or my mom used to, say, used to say it like this, they received salvation. That's, that's, that was her way of saying people got born again. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I, that that's completely scriptural. But we never use the term new birth. Now, for instance, in our church, when we have kids in children's, you know, in Faith Island, Kendra tells me there were three kids born again. We use that phrase instead of the word, instead of the phrase safe. Both of them are scriptural. Here's my point. We didn't understand what salvation really involved. Our concept of people getting saved, and, I, and, and it's this way in, in most churches. I'm talking about fundamental churches that believe in salvation. Someone gets saved means they repented of their sins and they're going to heaven. They got saved. They were a sinner and now they're saved and they're going to heaven. No one taught the depth and the many side, or not side, the many 
uh, uh, variations or the, or the many uh, uh, layers of blessing that salvation brings. We, we were never taught about the new birth, what it is. If we used it at all, it was just a term and it was synonymous with salvation. But the new, we found out through Kenneth Hagin that the new birth is the recreation of the human spirit. Spirit, soul, and body, never knew it. I never heard one message in all of my life. And I was in church all the time. I never heard anybody identify the difference between spirit, soul, and body. We all, we all thought spirit and soul was the same thing. In fact, when I was at Rhema, Ken, Dr. Ken Stewart, he was a theologian, a very educated man, and he was the dean of the school when I was there. And he taught one time about spirit, soul, and body. And he said he was in theological seminary and he studied and he studied. He said, I never could find anybody that gave any clarity on what the spirit of man and what the soul of man is. It, it, they must be different, but everybody presented, presented them as though they were synonymous. He said, until I read Kenneth Hagin's book and suddenly it was as clear as day. Well, that's a, that's a simple truth, but how foundational is that? That we are a spirit. We possess a soul and our spirit and soul live in a body and the new birth is the recreation. If any man, did Brother Hagin teach this? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed. See, that's what I mean by the depth of all of these teachings that people believe. They, they were never really explored. God used Brother Hagin to explore and to reveal so much of like I said, I, I, on Wednesday night, I might, well, I might do it another Sunday. On Wednesday night, I went down our statement of faith and just point after point, statement after statement, how Brother Hagen brought special insight, just like I just described about the new birth. I mean, he did that thing. He, he did the same thing concerning the scriptures. God's, you know, all, all churches believe that the word of God is God-breathed, infallible, never failing. But the word of faith movement became the word movement. Like never before, I grew up in church. Let me tell you, I grew up in church. We knew the word. We knew the Bible. The scriptures were holy. You don't violate that in theory. But in practice, the, the scripture was not the final authority. In practice, though we knew God's word was infallible, you know, we had that checked off on our list. But if our circumstances differed from the scriptures, then the scripture was wrong. People say, well, you know, the Bible says by his stripes you're healed. Well, I know it says that, but I know I'm not. Well, the Bible says by his stripes you were healed. Well, I can see in my body that I'm not healed. Well, you're either gonna have to decide with the word or you're gonna have to decide with circumstances. We cited, and most everybody does, side with circumstances. So even though the church at large has always believed that the scriptures are the holy inspired word of God, infallible, the final authority. They really don't practice it. Kenneth Hagin brought this truth that is so fundamental. It's in the first statement of faith. Almost, if you look at almost anybody's statement of faith in any church anywhere, that'll be item number one. He brought out the fact that God's word is true. It's more true than your circumstances. 
Now your body indeed may not look like it's healed and it may not exhibit any healing in it, but the Bible says by his stripes you were healed. And if you'll believe that, your body will change. Thank God for Kenneth Hagin. What a, what a found. And if you go through every one of our statements like that, you see the imprint of what God brought through Kenneth Hagin. You see it in every one of these statements. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. So Paul said, you are partakers with me of grace. Well, we've become partakers uh, with Kenneth Hagin of the grace that was on him. We've become partakers of his grace. And uh, I'll stop right there because the next thing I'll get into will take a little explanation and uh, we don't have time for that. Praise the Lord. But in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be delving in it and there's a, there's, I'm going someplace with this that's really gonna help us as a congregation, really gonna help us see what God said to me years ago and what I've always known and practiced but I didn't really see, I didn't see it clearly as I do now. And it's, gonna, it's just gonna open some things up. So in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna, uh, th- next Sunday, uh, Pastor Angela and I are gonna be out, but the following Sunday, we'll pick up. Praise the Lord, amen. Glory to God. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and blessing. We thank you, Father, for, your, for the entrance of your word. It gives light. We have received so much light. We have received so much truth. We've seen so much. And there's yet more to be revealed, more illumination, more uh, uh, understanding and enlightenment from these holy scriptures. And we thank you for it, Father. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. And Father, we are going to continue to carry the banner of these great truths. Father, forward as this last generation unfolds before us, we will champion these things, hold these things dear and true, and we will not allow ourselves to be moved aside or moved off to compromise, to de-emphasize or to take away from these truths that you gave Kenneth Hagin and the church an impact and us for these last days. They powerfully will affect the church in the last days. And we thank you for it. We're honored and humbled, Lord, to be recipients of such wonderful truths and teachings. We thank you, Father, for the life and ministry of Kenneth E. Hagin. And we see ourselves, Father, as carriers of that torch. Glory to God. And we will carry it, Father. You'll help us. We know you will. We'll gain, we'll gain more understanding, more wisdom as we go. We thank you for it, Father. Glory to God. In Jesus' name. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.